Well, we're going to go ahead and get started so that those uh, that are joining us online don't wonder where we are. So right on time here at 6 o'clock. Welcome to Plum Creek Chapel and uh, glad to see everybody tonight. And uh, those of you that are joining us online, thanks for tuning in. We are uh, going to pick up where we left off last week in our look at Proverbs, which is kind of a subset of our larger study on how to read and understand the Bible. And uh, Proverbs is such a rich book and so easy to understand and apply. I thought it would be good to just spend some time there looking at some of those principles and then kind of the different types of Proverbs. So uh, before we get to that, though, let me mention a couple of announcements. The uh, podcast from yesterday, you know, every Tuesday we're on Christian Underground News Network. And yesterday we talked about globalism, the pandemic resurgence, and the New World Order. So it was a pretty, pretty great discussion. I think we talked for about 50 minutes or so. Always really enjoy talking to those guys. And uh, so that's available at the Not By Works podcast channel, or you can just go to notbyworks.org, and, and it's on the banner there. You can listen to that. Uh, I want to keep reminding you about the book uh, that is still available and still gaining uh, traction and really excited about well, how the Lord is using that. Talked to some folks today that uh, wanted to get eight more copies so they could give it to several of their relatives. And so that's, that's what thrills my heart when I, when I know people are spreading the word. And so along those lines, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this yesterday on the podcast, but we've uh, recently uh, created a mechanism at the online store for you to do gift cards. And it's just like any other gift card. You purchase it, you tell them where to send it in the person's name, and you can even write a little note in there. Uh, and I think that's just a cool way to be able to maybe encourage someone to get the book. Hey, you know, happy birthday, or hey, just thought, you thought was thinking of you, thought I'd send you this gift card, and you can re- recommend, hey, when you go to the store to spend it, I recommend this book, Spirit of the Antichrist, because, uh, you know, it just came out, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, keep that in mind. Uh, it's just a great way to, you know, point people to a, a, an online store that is full of grace-based resources. So all the books, and it's not just my stuff. We have lots of other books by other like-minded authors on a variety of topics. We've got uh, video streaming. We've got DVDs, uh, all kinds of uh, the gospel tracks, anything you can use to help advance the gospel message. So uh, kind of take a look at that. Um, this coming Sunday, we won't have our regular What Lies Ahead uh, 9 o'clock hour because we're having our special uh, Easter service. So uh, for those of you that join by live stream or watch the video, don't be alarmed when there's no 9 o'clock live stream. I've noted that on the Plum Creek website and the Not By Works website. But we will have our regular live stream at roughly 1030. You know, it's always a give or take five minutes for the start time for our worship service because we only live stream the the sermon, the message. And depending on the flow of the service, sometimes that happens at you know, 1025, sometimes it's 1035. But anyway, uh, looking forward to a great service Sunday. I'll be talking about who killed uh, Jesus, and I'm kind of thinking about uh, promoting it, at least my current plan, unless the Lord changes my heart between now and Sunday, is to kind of promote it like a whodunit. And I have got five uh, suspects, and we're going to walk through each of them and then uh, see what the Bible has to say. And I think you'll be surprised at the answer. So... Maybe you won't. You guys are all pretty smart, so we'll see. But anyway, that's uh, Sunday. And uh, also, those of you here in uh, Sedalia or the Denver area, come join us for breakfast at 9 o'clock. So looking forward to a great time of food and fellowship uh, for that. All right. Well, let's uh, dive in with our overview of 
Proverbs. Remember we said the goal of reading Proverbs is to master daily life through the practice of wisdom. And so two weeks ago we talked about what meaning, what wisdom is, and we said wisdom is not intellectual knowledge. Uh, wisdom is essentially the fear of God and the corresponding action that flows from a healthy a fear of God. And then uh, last week, of course, we talked a lot about fear of God, but I always want to remind you of this fundamental principle that I've talked about in other contexts as well, but we've mentioned it in each of the three uh, studies on Proverbs so far, but that is that God really guides and directs us through two mechanisms. One, of course, is the Word of God, the inspired, infallible Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to give us uh, guideposts, principles to help us watch out for pitfalls and landmines and those types of things. But also, according to God's Word, which is kind of the starting point, we learn that life itself can be a great teacher. And so that's why I, I call this two wells of wisdom. Uh, you know, life experience can teach wisdom, you know, not necessarily theological wisdom or infallible <coughs> wisdom like that. But, you know, if you touch a hot stove, you know, uh, and get burned, you're, you're going to remember that, and you probably will be more careful next time. So uh, uh, my daughter, uh, Brooke, and I and our, my granddaughter went out uh, for, lunch, for dinner uh, Monday night because uh, it was supposed to be a soccer night for little Zoe, but uh, she got canceled because of the high wind. So she was looking forward to going out on an adventure, so well, let's just go out to dinner. So we went to this Mexican place and got uh, fajitas to share, and, you know, they always tell you when they bring that skillet, this is hot, as if the steaming smoke coming off of it wasn't clue enough. But, you know, sure enough, uh, I was careful not to touch the skillet where the meat was, but the little handle at one point, I wanted to reposition it, and without thinking, I just grabbed it and started to move it. Well, it burned my hand, you know. Um, so guess how many more times I touched it during that dinner? Not. So uh, life can be a good teacher. And Proverbs 15.31 uh, affirms that point when it said, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And uh, so what, what is a life rebuke? You know, well, it can be any number of things. But when you make a decision or do something, or in some cases say something that doesn't go well, ends up, you know, hurting you, you know, that's a rebuke. And so you, you learn from that. And so we all know, I think, you know, even apart from understanding and knowing God's Word and being believers who see the Bible as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, even from a secular perspective, we know that with age, hopefully, comes wisdom. And you, the older you get, the more life experience you have. So therefore, you have more to draw on you know, more natural experiences, you know, as a well to draw from. Um, and that's why it's always a good idea when facing a difficult decision or circumstance to seek out someone older than you and hopefully wiser than you uh, and, and ask their input because maybe they've been there before and maybe they can give you some insights that you hadn't thought about. Uh, now, unfortunately, in this fallen world, we, it's not a guarantee that an older person is going to be a wiser person because there are a lot of, you know, dumb old people. 
and there's also a lot of smart young people. Some people are smart beyond their years because they've had to experience a lot of things at their age that give them wisdom. But in general, you know, with uh, time and age comes wisdom. So in essence, Proverbs is a, is a book of practical guidance for life. It contains general wisdom sayings that help us navigate through life successfully. And uh, I mentioned that the motto, and this is what we talked about last week, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's Proverbs 1, uh, 7. Um, and so we talked a lot about what is the fear of the Lord. And we said fear of God is a recognition of God, uh, an acknowledgement of Him, of who He is relative to who you are, who He is relative to all of creation, that He is, in fact, the sovereign creator. And then uh, it's, a, it's not a fear in the sense that, oh, I'm afraid He's going to hurt me, but it's a fear in the sense that I'm afraid I may hurt Him, that I respect Him, I want to honor Him and bring Him glory, that He is the Lord of all in my life, and that everything I do should honor and glorify Him. Paul said, whatever you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Um, so it, it's the kind of fear that produces holy character and righteous conduct not legalistically, not, you know, being afraid if you step out of line, God's going to be right there to zap you, you know. But a, a recognition that, you know, He is God. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. This is our blueprint. It's kind of like our instruction manual. Uh, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so why wouldn't we want to follow His advice? And, of course, the, the whole narrative of human history is all about from the very beginning when Adam and Eve didn't follow God's advice, when God said, hey, don't eat from that tree because you'll die. And, and they said, well, I think we'll go eat from the tree. And, and of course, the rest is, uh, is really the history of fallen mankind. So um, every decision we make when we, when we choose to disobey God comes down to a, a failure to trust God or to fear God in the healthy sense uh, of the word. So the person who learns the fear of God, who recognizes God, that is, in every sphere of life will be successful, but those who forget God or ignore God or set God aside uh, will fail. So recognizing God means taking God into account, uh, uh, being aware of His presence, uh, His reality, uh, thinking about Him. You know, it, it amazes me that I think you know, there are people that go days and weeks and months without even thinking about God, if you can imagine that. They're, they're so consumed with the worldly cares of this life, they don't really think about it. And if they do, it's usually in the context of their own mortality, or maybe somebody dies and they think, yeah, I wonder what it's going to be like in the afterlife, or those kinds of things. But what Proverbs teaches is that God ought to be really always on the forefront of our minds. Like Paul said when he said, pray without ceasing. Well, what is prayer? You know, what did you just say? You're right. Say it out loud. I saw you. I, I'm getting better at reading lips the more deaf I get. So yes, talking to God. <laughs> I know, you better be careful. You know, don't be careful what you whisper to your friend. This guy's nuts. You know? um, no, uh, the, one of the best books on prayer I think ever written is by a guy by the name of Tom Constable, who was a, 
is a great Bible scholar, was a, one of my professors. I had him for a lot of classes. I've had him come speak in my churches. But anyway, he wrote a book on prayer called Talking to God. And that's really the simplest definition of prayer. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, you can't talk to someone without being aware of them, right? I mean, we talk to ourselves sometimes, but we do so hopefully aware that we're talking to ourselves. Um, but you can't talk to someone else without acknowledging that they're there. I mean, that's impossible. So when we talk to God, when we pray without ceasing, essentially that is always be in an attitude of the presence of God, um, the you know, reality of, of his reality and his word and the things that it says. And so uh, that's this, the fear of God. And uh, so we, we want to remember as we go through these Proverbs and look at a few examples tonight that that's the, the motto, if you will, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So any more thoughts about fear of God as you've had time to kind of think about this over the last week or even as we're sitting here tonight? Comments or questions? All right. So we left off with some varieties of Proverbs. So let's uh, take a look at some of these. First of all, there are commands to be obeyed. Uh, and that, this includes things like prohibitions. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to just kind of flip around in uh, Proverbs uh, rather than put every one of these on the screen because I'm not planning to necessarily look at every one of them. Um, but I did look at every one of them in preparation for tonight, and I thought, well, let's just turn to them. So Proverbs 20, verse 13, do not love sleep, so that's a command, right? Understood subject of you, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. So that's a command to be obeyed. Or verse 20, whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. That's a verse uh, 20, Proverbs 20, verse 20. So uh, that's an interesting one there because it's sort of a metaphor as well as a command. Um, and, uh, you know, it's telling you to be careful about, you know, that you treat your father and mother properly. Other commands to be obey, obeyed come in the form of exhortations. Not, a, you know, a specific command, but like... Uh, one of the ones we looked at last week, Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. So that's not in the imperative uh, mood in, in uh, the Hebrew text, but it's still nevertheless an exhortation. Um, and we looked at that in the context of chapter 22, verse 6 last week, which said, Train up a child in the way he should go. That is, start him out young, the idea there behind the Hebrew verb train. Uh, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that's just an exhortation. Uh, if you go back to verse 20 in chapter 19, this one's very easy to understand. In fact, we sort of were alluding to it as we reviewed the fear of the Lord. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. So you ever know someone who just seems to never really take advice, never really be teachable, they stiffen their neck, make the same mistakes over and over again. And, you know, they get to be 40, 50, 60, and they're still just kind of struggling. And you just want to shake them and say, you know, when are you going to get it? Well, unfortunately, some people never get it. You know, they should. And of course, the Spirit of God can always break through. And by the way, I'm talking about believers here. So these are 
people not necessarily rejecting the gospel, but people that just just have a, a stubborn streak and just are determined to go their own way, you know. And um, uh, and so you know, you just you look at them and you think, man, how can they make the same mistake over and over again? When are they going to learn? You know. <laughs> Um, but that's uh, that's they're not following this exhortation, um, you know. They're not they're not uh, listening to counsel and receiving instruction, and so they're going to be one of those that I said. You remember, hopefully, the older you get, the wiser you get. But not always the case. You know, there are old older people that are not that wise, and then there are younger people that, because of their life circumstance and experiences, maybe they've picked up wisdom beyond their years but what's interesting is <clears throat> someone told me one time the most mature thing a person can do is to act their age in other words and trying to act older than yourself can be a sign of immaturity and of course acting younger than you normally would at that age is a sign of immaturity too and I think that's true and that goes to your heart and your motive and your attitude and you know for some people you know they they just don't enjoy don't take the time to enjoy the life, you know, where they are. When they're in high school, they just they can't wait to get to college. When they're in college, they can't wait to get out. When they get, and you know, you just you have to recognize, you know, what I'm 20, and let's just be a college student, you know. Uh, so it can be a sign of immaturity to be, you know, it, and and you see this with teenagers all the time, and you know, not no offense to teenagers that might be listening, but you know, when the you know, teenager, I'm 16, Dad, I should be able to do this and this and this. And you're like, no, you're 16. <laughs> you, you know, the answer is in the statement. And so, uh, but some, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, you just, you're in that tough age between, you're not really a child, but you're not really an adult. And so you want to be able to do the things adults do, but yet, you know, you know you're, you're not able to. So, um, so that's more, you know, about an attitude. But then there are some younger people who, because of the rebukes of life that I mentioned a minute ago in Proverbs 15:31, you know they've they've experienced a lot. You know, um, yeah. My translation says, um, "Listen to counsel and accept discipline." There you go. Yeah. And that speaks to me more than instruction, I guess. Yeah. So one translation says, "Listen to." Uh, Instruction or uh, listen, listen to the counsel, uh, counsel and, and accept, accept discipline. discipline. Yeah, and that's the New American Standard. So discipline fundamentally is instruction, and we've talked. I wish I had known that question was coming. I would have found a slide that I like to refer to. But for believers, God never punishes believers. I hope you understand that. So we should never use the term punishment other than in the context of an unbeliever. Because once you become a child of God, you've passed from death to life, shall never come into judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, so on and so forth. But God does discipline his children. And so, you know, we want to be careful that we use biblical terminology. And so even when dealing with our kids, we should talk about disciplining them. It's this idea in Greek of paideia. It's the molding and shaping and training them, instructing them. It's discipline, uh, not punishment, right? So... I think uh, in Hebrew, and I don't have the Hebrew word right in front of me, but I'm sure it's the same nuance, that uh, instruction is a form of discipline. You're, you know, just like training, you know. Paul says, I discipline my body, 
you know, so that I can fight to win and run to win and those types of things. So it takes discipline. And that's molding and shaping into a pattern. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, it's challenging uh, people to do is to listen to discipline. It's not just talking there about, you know, when we hear the word instruction, we think a chalkboard, a teacher, and sitting there with your math book open, that kind of thing. But instruction comes in all forms. But the purpose of it is to discipline us. So, yeah, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. Anybody else? Okay, so those are commands to be obeyed. Then we've got uh, Proverbs that we really can just call the better than Proverbs. Uh, you know, on the slide here, I call them preference in life Proverbs. But these are easily identifiable by the, you know, the fact that they make a comparison. So Proverbs 15, 17 Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Don't you love that? I mean, you know, that's, uh, you can immediately relate to that. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, wealthy Luciferian elites that are, you know, doing weird satanic rituals in the back rooms. You know, they have all the money and the wealth and the food that they want. They have servants galore, but there's no love there. It's all about hate. You know, mafia, think of the big mafiosos in, you know, in Mexico or wherever. You know, they've got these mansions and food, to, plenty of food to spare all they want, but, you know, there, there's no love there. And so would you rather just be in a modest home sitting around a hand-me-down table you know with some hamburger helper or stroganoff or something and just enjoying the the meal with your family and friends of course right um what about proverbs 17 verse 1 better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife similar but instead of love hate it's it's more about conflict um and, uh, but the same idea. Uh, Proverbs 21:19. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Amen. <laughs> hey, now, Paul. <laughs> For the record, uh, his email address is Paul at. Um, no, uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't think I would be well served to make any commentary on that one. So Proverbs twenty-one nineteen, better than uh, principles of life that are almost always accurate. Now this is really interesting because we talked at the beginning three weeks ago about how people misunderstand Proverbs, especially like we talked last week about Proverbs twenty-two six, and think it's some kind of a guarantee. So if a child later on in life runs from the Lord, backslides, oh, the parents must be to blame. The parents did something wrong. Because God guaranteed they'll come back around. Uh, that's not what Proverbs are. But these principles that at least some of the examples that I give here, and you can see I list Proverbs 22.6 there, but uh, they're pretty rock solid. Again, not guarantees. That's why we say almost always true. Let's look at a few. Proverbs 16.7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So, again, this is the third variety of Proverbs. We've got commands to be obeyed, preference in life Proverbs, principles to, that in life that are almost always accurate. Well, I've got notes out here beside this one from the years of reading through Proverbs and making little personal notes. And, and I can tell you, you know, as 
as much as I've searched my heart and tried to, you know, make sure there's every, that everything in my heart is pleasing to the Lord, nevertheless, there have still been times when people are, you know, attacking. And my enemies are not at peace with me. They're, on, you know, in a, in a full attack. So does that mean this proverb is wrong? No, but generally speaking, you know, if you prioritize your relationships with the vertical coming first, you and God, and the horizontal second, you know, if, if things are going right with God, then, you know, in general, you're going to not, you're going to have fewer conflicts, you know, and I think part of that, and again, I'm just speaking from personal experiences that I know when I'm not really in tune with the Lord the way I should be, and I'm not reading the word faithfully like I should be, that's when I get defensive, I get reactive, I get, you know, I, I get embroiled in conflict, and I can you know, shoot from the hip, say things I shouldn't, those kinds of things, and it just makes matters worse. But you know what? If I'm really walking with the Lord and, and you know, praising Him and thankful for, for all that's going on, then when horizontal things come up and people, you know, insult you or criticize you or whatever, you tend to just have a better perspective and you tend to respond more wise to those types of things. So, again, not a guarantee, but certainly uh, generally it's true 176 uh, children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their father well that's easy to see how that's certainly not a hundred percent of the time true there are many children who've had horrible fathers right and so if you don't understand the nature of proverbs you might read that and think well see god's word is wrong you know, uh, my, you know, my father is, is not a, a glory to me. Um, and, and similarly, you know, I'm sure there are uh, fathers out there who, you know, have grandchildren that have run amok. I mean, not me. My granddaughter is the most perfect granddaughter on the planet. <laughs> but I'm sure that there are grandchildren that, do bring shame to the family and are always in trouble and run and having problems. So, but uh, uh, in general, if you follow the fear of the Lord and the way of wisdom and you do the principles and proverbs, then it's going to reflect in generational uh, blessings. Twenty twenty one, chapter twenty, verse twenty one. Now this was an interesting one when I looked at it earlier. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And so I don't know when I wrote this, but I wrote out there beside it, lottery. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like not I'm not making a moral statement about lottery necessarily, but it's like there are a lot of people who want, uh, you know, quick riches, right? And does that mean everybody who gets, you know, an unexpected windfall or blessing is somehow not going to be blessed in the end? No, doesn't mean that at all. Sometimes God, you know, blesses people. And sometimes he blesses them substantially. And praise God. And hopefully those people will use that for God's glory. But in general, if your focus is on a get-rich-quick scheme, it's, it's just not a good idea. And it's not going to be blessed in the end. Uh, same chapter, verse 30. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Hmm. 
What do you think about that one? That, that one's one that will get you banned from YouTube if you start talking about that <laughs> these days. <laughs> and it might get you a visit from the CPS, too. But, you know, the principle there is that there is discipline. Obviously, Scripture speaks of corporal you know, discipline. And, uh, you know, if you're just, you know, you've all seen this and, and maybe even experienced it. I don't know, but, you know, you, you're out in a store, Walmart or something, and a little toddler's giving the parent fits and just will not straighten down the and the parent, you know, the mom or the dad or whoever just keeps saying, stop that, and just kind of, you know, stop that, stop that, stop that. Well, the kid's just laughing at you. But, you know, you get their attention with discipline that gets their attention, let's just say that, lest I be accused of, you know, some kind of promoting child abuse. It makes a difference. So it's, it's a pretty obvious uh, principle, right? Uh, let's take it out of the realm of family. Uh, let's talk about the criminal justice system. You know, is it going to be more of a deterrent to uh, a criminal if you uh, give them a slap on the wrist or if they do hard time? Hard time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, stripe, you know, stripes cleanse the inner heart. You got to break the spirit. You know, you got to get get the message across. Um, and then let's look at 21.7. Uh the violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. That's a very important principle and one that we can take hope in and take comfort in. But again, it's no guarantee. That's why we cry out in this world for justice because it's not always just. So sometimes we look at evil people, wicked people. We see the things that they're doing. And we might think, well, Lord, your word says that that's, that behavior is going to eventually bring them, be their undoing. It's going to destroy them. Uh, and we can come to this proverb and we can, we can pray this proverb. We can say, Lord, we know this is a principle that's true. We also know we live in a fallen world, so sometimes there are things that are contrary to your principles. But, Lord, we're asking you to you know, bring this one about, right? But we shouldn't question God and wonder, well, is he, did he fail this time or was he just kidding or lying? No, it's just it's a general principles that are, that are almost always uh, true. In fact, you know, there are far more evil people that get caught than there are that get away with it. I mean, it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but that's true, you know. Um, most, we've all seen those YouTube videos or TV shows about dumb criminals, you know, most of them, you know, get caught, you know, and uh, so it's a principle that holds true. They're going to be their own undoing. Um, what about Proverbs uh, 22? Oh, we already talked about 22.6. Uh, all right, so another variety then would be uh, unchangeable truth. So these are sort of take it to the bank theological Principles, and let me give you a few examples. So these are unchangeable truths. If you look at chapter 16, verse 6, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Well, that there's no wiggle room there. That's a fact. That uh, the atoning work of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is, a, is an example and an expression of mercy and truth. And clearly, as we've been talking about, the fear of the Lord will lead one to depart from evil. In fact, the evildoers that we were talking about a moment ago, uh, 
it's precisely because they have no fear of God. They don't recognize that there is a God. They think they are their own God, and they think that they can get away with it. What about um, 16.9? Boy, I can't tell you how many times I've really depended on this principle. Uh, this, it's, and it's not even a principle. It's an unchangeable truth. Uh, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We need to remember that. That no matter how much we, you know, uh, prepare and plan, uh, it's, you know, it's the Lord who, like Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. So it's, it's about God's sovereignty. Basically, that verse is saying, you know, God is uh, sovereign. And so, yes, we should plan our way. We need to be wise. We need to be prepared. We need to do the things that God's Word tells us to do. But ultimately, we can rest in the fact that God's in charge. So, And what's really almost befuddling is when we recognize that God is in charge even when we make mistakes. <laughs> you know, God didn't cause us to make mistakes. That's the holy tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will, which I believe the Bible teaches both. But... Whatever we do cannot contravene God's sovereignty. It cannot cause God to be thwarted or his plan to be thwarted. God, as you've heard me say many times, you know, has it, has it ever dawned on you that nothing ever dawns on God? You know, God never looks down from heaven and says, I didn't see that coming, right? So, and yet we have free will and yet we're accountable for our decisions. So we plan our way. And the Lord directs his steps. It's easy to see that at play when you, you know, we've always tried to, like, like a lot of people, we've tried to func live the decision-making process through the paradigm of we walk through open doors until the Lord closes them. And how many of you would agree that it's, it's a lot easier to see a closed door than an open one, right? I mean, if God closes the door, it's like there's no decision to be made, right? So it takes the decision out. It's the open doors that are a little harder. Is this really open? Am I forcing it? You know, so you you, you keep walking through the door. And, and when we're praying in major decisions in life and seeking the Lord's will, sometimes we'll pray, Lord, please close this door, you know, in big things and little things. You know, when we were looking for a house, it's like, you know, we really love this house. Lord, you know, if, if it's your will, we pray that we'll get it. But if not, close the door. And when he closes it, then it's like, you know, you might be disappointed for just a second, but then as a believer, you realize, okay, God knows best. He must have something better. Or he must have known this wasn't the one for us, or maybe there was problems with that. So, you know, uh, we we make plans, but we trust the Lord to direct, and He He does that sometimes through uh, clear, closed doors. Other times, He kind of really tests our faith and and we have multiple open doors and we just have to say lord you're not going to make it easy <laughs> we're going to just have to use wisdom use prayer use counsel good advice from others and make a decision is it going to be a b or c and i think if your heart's in the right spot and you're truly seeking the lord even if you end up choosing a path that wasn't the best you know god will protect you god will honor you you know it's when we hastily rush off and cater to the you know, desires of the flesh and do something without really 
you know, you can push doors down. In other words, you can you can force a door open if if uh, you really want to. So, I think that's a great proverb. You know, uh, your your heart plans the way, but the Lord uh, directs your steps. Uh, what about Proverbs twenty, verse twelve? The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Well, you can't argue with that, right? If that's not an unchangeable truth. I don't know what is. Now, some hearing ears hear better than others. and Some seeing eyes see better uh, than others. Um, but uh, certainly God has made them both. And what do you think he's really getting at there? Um, any, any thoughts? At the use of both. Yeah. He made them both to us and wants us to use them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really it. The hearing ear and the seeing eye. Because you can't really go from context here, because that's not the way Proverbs is outlined. But yeah, um, isn't he asking us to be discerning too? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really it. This idea of discernment, but it's it's pay attention, use your use what you can see, use what you can hear. Um, well, even that's from the Lord. So any discernment or any real understanding of Scripture, yeah. Yep, Any uh, even discernment is from the Lord. And, you know, sometimes people talk about the gift of discernment. Now, in a technical sense, the first century gift of the Holy Spirit that was called discernment, I don't think that's still in vogue today, but it's, all, it's really more semantics. We certainly understand that some people have um, just more intuition and better way to view things and they can pick up on things diff better than me you know or you and and so they 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 have more wisdom that's really what we mean by discernment you know a lack of discernment means you're not seeing the full picture you're 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 you know uh tunnel visioned right and so you think this seems like a good plan or whatever but someone else comes along with a different perspective more wisdom they have the discernment to say you know i don't think that's a good idea so it's not we want to make sure we're we're not suggesting that the holy spirit in a direct you know like one-to-one -one hotline like the phone rings you pick it up hi this is the holy spirit i'm because you have a special gift i'm going to give you special knowledge that no one else has and here's what you sh you need to know it's not like that it's more just um you know, again, a combination of uh, someone who's spiritually mature, someone who knows the scripture, someone who's experienced a lot in life, and someone just has this wisdom that we've been talking so much about, and so therefore they can uh, respond more wisely to the situation than maybe you can. And uh, that's why Proverbs has a lot to say about in the multitude of counselors, you know, there is safety. And it says that two or three different ways, um, and really more than that. So uh, I think there's, there's something to this idea of making sure you get counsel. Now, sometimes that's a crutch for people. They get counsel on everything. At some point, you got to learn to just make decisions. Um, but certainly good, wise, biblical counsel can uh, is important. I preached a message uh, here not too long ago on... Uh, I think when we were going through our, the Psalms, some selected Psalms, and I called it, When Bad Advice Happens to Good People. 
I mean, there's a lot of bad advice out there. And so, you know, when, when, when God's Word, God's Word's the ultimate great teacher. And so when you've searched the Scriptures and you're really still struggling with a decision, okay, then seek godly counsel. But a lot of people go for the counselor first when the decisions are pretty clear if they just see what God's Word has to say. So these are all, you know, unchangeable um, truths. Yeah. I've got a cross-reference on that. Verse to Exodus uh, 4:11, where oh, Moses, Moses is talking about send Aaron because I can't speak well. right. And it says, and the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Yeah, that's an interesting cross-reference. I'm not surprised. I'm sure Treasury of Scripture Knowledge has the same one. Mm-hmm. What's great about cross-reference uh, books. Mm-hmm is that they pick up on key words or even phrases or concepts, and then they link you to it. That doesn't necessarily mean God intended for you to link to that verse, but it is an interesting uh, parallel there. In the case of Moses, of course, he was questioning God's direction because he felt ill-equipped. And God says, hey, I'm God. I, I, you know, I'm the one that made you. If I'm telling you to do this, believe me, I'll equip you, and you can do it. So I don't know that that necessarily is what this proverb is getting at, but it, it's certainly a, another place where he talks about how God has made the hearing and seeing eye. The very least, we can say this reminds us that God is the creator. You know. Um, yeah? I'd like to go back to the sermon for a minute and make sure uh, that I am hearing and understanding correctly. Make sure you're discerning what I said about discernment correctly? <laughs> So it was it was considered a gift, okay, but no longer. That's my view. So uh, the question is: this, the discernment was a gift in the first century, and 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 am I suggesting that it's no longer a gift? I I don't think it's a technical gift of the Holy Spirit. So my view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if you look at the four passages in Scripture that list them, which are 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. That's the only places they're listed. And you collate them and get rid of the duplicates, you come up with 18 spiritual gifts. It's my view that nine of them were revelatory in nature, meaning they had to do with uh, identifying God's direct special revelation to mankind. Things like prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, discernment, uh, tongues. Um, and, and, and as such, as revelatory gifts, I believe as God's word continue to be revealed over time, by the time you get to 95, 96 AD when the last book of the Bible was written, this is God's special revelation. There's no special revelation outside of God's word today. So in the first century, you said, it was everywhere, apostles and you know, angel of the Lord speaking and so forth. We had all kinds of avenues of special revelation. But we believe that God's Word itself testifies that today everything is tied to God's Word. And we even see references within the epistles to the fact, for example, in 1 Corinthians, that over time, not, you know, these certain gifts will cease, but love never fails, for example. So I'm not suggesting that there's no such thing as discernment today. I just wouldn't categorize it as one of the gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit on members of the church for the edification of the body. That's all. 
But you, you would say that discernment is uh, comes from the Holy Spirit that we, we dwell on it and, and are uh, indwelling in the Holy Spirit. It gives us the spiritual discernment. It depends what you mean. So the question is, what, what I say discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, depends what you mean by that. Describe that. Well, some truths that are hard seem right, uh, like you say, making decisions, asking, praying about it, you know, and, and I don't know, just uh, not, not as a gift of I'm right and you're wrong or I know what I'm talking yeah. about, not like that, but, but I think each believer, I think the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and uh, so well, let's, we need to define what the spiritual gifts are, because that's a technical term, and you know, I believe that everybody is, you know, has been given one or more gifts of the Spirit for the edification of the body. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is all about. But those, some of those gifts were limited in, in use to the first century apostolic age when Revelation was still open. And some of them are timeless, that as long as the church is in existence throughout the church age, God intends for us to use those gifts. Now, good scholars will differ on which are which, and I'm sure there are guys out there that take discernment as maybe one of the, one of the continuing gifts, but there's no question that some of the gifts ceased. The text tells us that. Um, and so the, the nature of a spiritual gift is that the, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit specifically endows you with a specific gift that you can then repeatedly use uh, for the betterment of the body things like serving uh giving teaching those types of things and and you to neglect that would be to be disobedient to the spirit and you're going to be it's not the same as a natural gift you know like there's no spiritual gift of singing some people are great at singing that doesn't mean the holy spirit gave them that gift it just means that's the way god made them and they have a great gift some people are great at football or great at chess or great at you know whatever trivia that's not a spiritual gift. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about a very narrow definition in Scripture of spiritual gifts that God bestows upon members of the church. And all I'm suggesting is that if you look at them closely in context, it seems pretty clear to me that there are those that are revelatory in nature that have to do in the first century with discerning, is this a message from God, the creator of the universe, or is this some false prophet? We kind of need to know which is which. Well, today we determine the answer to that by this. I don't need to go find someone with the spiritual gift of discernment and say, hey, can you, can you validate what God said? I need to know whether this is true or not. No, no, that's, we don't go to a person for that. We go to the Word of God for that, right? So that's what the spirit of discernment was in the first century uh, when God was still unveiling himself through the prophets and the apostles and angels you know things like that and so early on people god gave certain believers the gift of discernment just like he gave certain believers the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and it was all to validate this new move of god in the church age but over the first 50 years of the church age as god unveiled more and more of himself through the written word some of those revelatory gifts died out and they're not in vogue today so that's that's what i mean by a technical spiritual gift now, can the Spirit, you know, give somebody in an isolated context, in an isolated moment, the gift of healing or the gift of, of course, it's called miracles. It happens every day. 
and the Spirit of God is alive and well, and He's moving throughout the earth, and He can, He can, He can give somebody spiritual discernment in that moment. But that doesn't mean they have that gift so that they can continue to do it forever. So you know, it's kind of like the gift of healing. The reason we know that died out is because if someone had the spiritual gift of healing, all we'd need to do is walk them up and down the the, the walls of MD Anderson or wherever, and man, there'd be no cancer. There'd be no whatever because. Spirit is immutable. He's God. He never changes. If you have that gift, you've got that gift. It's from God. And it's not going to be something that, you know, he takes away. So, but can spirit still heal? Of course. Can the spirit still do miracles? Of course. Can people still speak in tongues the way the Bible teaches about it, which is the ability to speak in a known but unlearned language? Happens all the time. And all over the place in the mission field or whatever where God in a certain situation allows us a preacher to speak a language he's never studied in his whole life and he's perfectly able to speak fluid Spanish for example that's called a miracle that's not the same thing as the spiritual gift of tongues or whatever so um, you know we, we, we got to use Bible words with Bible definitions and when we're talking about the spiritual gift of discernment that's one thing when we're talking about discernment sure People, you know, can have the discernment you were just describing, Fred, without the Holy Spirit tapping them on the shoulder and whispering in their ear. They get discernment through all these other things, through knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, having life experiences, wisdom, just being smart, you know, uh, about a certain thing, and, you know, knowledgeable about a certain thing. So does that, what, what do you think about that? Is that, am I clarifying anything at least? Not well, you're giving me things to think about um, as I go, you know, like with, with you and Wendy, I pray for discernment around that. Absolutely. That, that the Holy Spirit will give you discernment about what you should do. You know, I pray, you know, and so then I go, well, should I even pray that? No, so, so it's, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about you know, discernment is not a bad word. Discernment is something we should all seek and strive for. But what I'm saying is that, you know, praying for someone in a given situation to have discernment and to know the Lord's will, that's, that's what we should all be doing that, you know. But you're, you're not, you didn't pray, Lord, I hope that the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gave them at conversion is discernment because they could really use it right now. That's not what you were praying. You're just asking for discernment. So uh, that's, that's why we have to define our terms. The spiritual gifts, there's only 18 of them. I mean, that, that's, there's no other, I mean, if the Bible is our only standard, there are only 18 of them. And I believe that nine of them are uh, in vogue and very uh, active and operational today for use in the church. And nine of them were in the first century, but they're not today. Like we don't have apostles today. We don't have the gift of apostleship, right? Would you agree with that? At least the way it's defined anyway. Now, I know people, you know, use the word apostle in some denominations and religious areas to mean a reverend or a preacher. You know, I get that. But, but in the strict sense of the term, we don't have it. So that, that's where I would put discernment because what, everything is, is uh, defined by its context. And in the context of the spiritual gift passages, it's, it's the ability to recognize truly God's word from fake God's word. saved and don't have any spiritual gifts 
Are you saved? Yeah, every, if you're saved and don't have any spiritual gifts, are you saved? Well, you know, every believer has at least one spiritual gift, I believe, because that's the whole body of Christ concept, the hand, the foot, you know, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and, uh, but the def, you know, when you ask, are you not saved, you know what my answer is going to be. There's only one c condition that means someone's not saved, which is what? They've never trusted Christ, exactly. And so, um, you know, if you don't have the Spirit, I think it's in Romans 8, so you you got to have that. Maybe this is kind of what you were getting at. You have to have the Spirit to be able to get a spiritual gift, right? right. So, and if you're not saved, you don't have the Spirit. Um, so the Spirit does not endow non-Christians, unbelievers, with spiritual uh, gifts. But um, let's see. Trying to find where this is in, thought it was in Romans 8. But anyway, if you don't have the Spirit, you're, you're not His. You're not, you're not a child of God. So maybe it's 1 John. Anyway, that's what I love about you guys. You always ask such awesome questions that every once in a while it stretches my, uh, my mind. Um, Yeah, that's exactly where it is. I couldn't see it over my own notes. So Romans 8, 9. But you are not in this flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, anyone, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. That's the one I was looking for. I thought it was in Romans 8. So thank you for that. So, so yes, I think uh, only, only believers have spiritual gifts. You know, there were no spiritual gifts in the Old Testament because they didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There are not going to be any spiritual gifts in the tribulation or in the millennium. It's one of the unique privileges of this present age of the body of Christ. And we're all part of the same body, but God has gifted different people with certain uh, spiritual gifts. You know, some people have the gift of giving. Now, the interesting thing is every one of the nine gifts that I think are operative today you can find other passages in Scripture that exhort all believers to do that, right? So it's not like someone can say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of giving, so I don't have to give. No, it's just that some people are uniquely gifted by the Spirit to do that abundantly. Some people have the gift of serving. Some people have the gift of teaching. We're supposed to teach one another with songs and hymns. So every believer's got to teach, but some people have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit to do that. So um, we're talking more here about ecclesiology and the nature of the church and the functions of the church and so forth. Um, the, if you step back from that, what started this discussion is this whole idea of discernment. Who brought? Who first mentioned the word discernment? I'd like to take you them did. out back. <laughs> but uh, oh, I did. I did. Or was it Paul? Paul started. Okay, Paul started. We're going to blame Paul. I said, I said amen to the first wife. Not the Apostle Paul, <laughs> mind you. Um, but so when we talk about discernment in general, that's a perfectly legitimate topic. It's an important part of the Christian life. It's an important part of life in general. I mean, from a secular perspective, you can have discernment that has nothing to do with the Spirit. 
right? But back to Fred's comment, certainly there are times in which spiritual discernment can be influenced by the Holy Spirit as He brings to your remembrance passages of Scripture. He guides you to a certain passage or brings something else to your remembrance in life. But that's different from having endowed you with a particular gift that's impressed upon you that you use perpetually and repeatedly throughout your life to benefit the church. Does that make sense? So definitely don't misunderstand me to be saying, you know, somehow discernment is a bad thing or it's it's off limits or it's, you know, no, 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 not at all. We were just talking about the spiritual gifts. Yeah. So I'm still struggling with this. So when, when a thought comes into your mind and you're like, I never would have thought of that. That must be the Lord because there is no way in my own capabilities or experiences or age or whatever I would have thought, what is that? Yeah. I think those are isolated cases where the Lord is directing you. And, and he's doing it through the Holy Spirit. That's fine. That, that, there's not, but that's not special revelation. That's not, thus saith the Lord. That's that still small voice that's speaking and directing you. I was listening to a podcast, actually watching a video last night. And the guy who, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he talks a lot about the Lord. And you might think he's a believer, but you, know, you just never know until you hear their testimony. But uh, So I can't say for sure, but he certainly... Uh, presents himself like a believer, but he was talking about how he he and his wife stopped for dinner one time, and they were laboring over something, and they were just uh, praying about it, and, and as they were eating dinner, he they, they were at a Chinese food place, and they opened their uh, uh, fortune cookies just because oh, they... I saw that video. Did, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to talk to you about that. That's yeah. pretty bombshell. Yeah. Anyway, so you saw... So could the Lord do that? Could the Lord sort of confirm something through... Of course he can, you know. He absolutely can. Now, I'm not suggesting that special revelation along the lines of handwriting on the wall in Daniel's day or the angel of the Lord or a donkey or, you know, a, a prophet, but it's definitely, you know, this is that area of um, spiritual leadership and guidance and how does the Lord guide? Well, I think he impresses on your heart. We talked. We've talked a lot about this. I can tell this is a subject that our group is uh, particularly sensitive to and I'm so thankful because the alternative is a bunch of dead people that have no sensitivity to the spirits moving and they're just intellectually elite and prideful and just whatever and I've been in those churches so absolutely the spirit of God impresses on your heart to call someone to write a note this is what we hope the cap ministry is all about it's that you know, someone has a need and God, through the Holy Spirit, impresses on someone else, hey, be an encouragement to that person and here's how. So that's, that's what you're talking about, this thought in your mind, but that's not the same uh, revelation as when Paul penned the book of Romans and the Spirit of God carried him along, right? You're not equating that's on par, but not at all. But so that's all we're saying is that special revelation today is limited to the Word of God. Whereas prior to the completion of the Word of God, there were a lot of avenues of it. Uh, so whatever it is, we can't call it infallible, inerrant Word of God. It's the Spirit's leading because we'll all admit that there are times when something pops into our mind and we think it's from the Lord, so we act on it. 
and we find out, oh, well, it was a mistake, right? So that's the problem is that I think the more mature we are in our walk with the Lord, the more we know the Word of God, the more we're able to identify that still small voice more accurately. And uh, I think I've talked about, you know, the times when, you know, when I've struggled with, you know, the urge to do something and, and, and really wrestling with, is that something the Lord's put on my heart or is that just me? Is it pity? Do I just feel bad for someone so I want to do something for them? Or is the Lord saying, no, here's your chance to help? And, you know, I don't know what my batting average is, probably not even 50% at getting those right. But, but the important thing is, and this is why I love you guys and love you, especially you guys reminding us. This is why I love Calvary Chapels, by the way. I love speaking in Calvary Chapels because they have a healthy, most of them, and I'm sweeping with a broad brush here because every church is unique, but in general I've found that they really have a, true sensitivity to the spirit they don't think he's dead and some churches man they can recite theology till they're blue in the face but they they have no real sensitivity to the spirit they won't walk across the street and talk to someone about the lord you know so yeah i mean i would rather err on the side of man something popped into my mind and i feel a, a burden to do something about it than to just constantly turn a deaf ear you know yeah so Try this another way. Okay. <laughs> um, it would appear to me you would have to answer this that God has given you the gift of discernment in teaching His Word to us. Okay. That that's that's at least what it feels like. Now you have to answer that, but you know obviously you've been educated and those kind of things, but. It would appear to me that God's given you the discernment to teach His Word truthfully, impactfully, and in actually timely fashion. So, I mean, how can I argue with that? Right? <laughs> I hope that got picked up because I don't think I could say it any better than you just said it. Um, so basically. I'm summarizing, but he said that I'm the greatest preacher ever to walk <laughs> the planet of the earth. Uh, no, so I guess my hang-up is, and it's probably just semantics, my hang-up is the phrase gift of discernment, because we do see in Scripture a gift of discernment that is a technical term tied to one of the 18 gifts of the Spirit that he bestows upon believers in the present age. And because as I work my way through those texts and try to make sense of which ones are operative and which ones ceased since the scriptures clearly says some of them are going to cease I put that in that category but if you said you know it seems to me that you have some real discernment when it comes to accurately handling the word of God and understanding the text and being able to communicate to others I would be honored and considered a great high compliment and whatever but when I hear the phrase it seems like the spirit has given you the gift of discernment I associate that with a category of these 18 things and that, that's all but so I want to be clear that discernment is absolutely active in the world today and, and most people don't have it and many people do but many more need it but that I don't think uh, that is the gift of discernment I think it's I, it's a gift of discernment and you know what you described as the discernment to be able to teach the word of God or whatever however you said it 
you know, uh, to me, that's more a factor of, uh, I tend to think of discernment as a subjective quality, not objective. Maybe that's wrong, but that's kind of the nuance. And to me, teaching the Word of God is not subjective. It's just, you know, literal, grammatical, historical. It's going through the passage in its context, understanding the meaning, and doing your best to rightly divide the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, clearly, some people, you know, have uh, a greater ability to do that. There are a lot of great teachers out there. Maybe it's because of their training, or they've been blessed to have, you know, training, or they've done it for a long time, or they're just particularly uh, gifted at it. But to me, that's not so much discernment, because discernment really comes down to identifying right from wrong and you know I don't know that I identify right from wrong any better than anybody else I just try to be faithful to the text and sometimes I get it right sometimes I don't but it's based on the text not my own subjective ability so I mean I I, I know what you're saying and and I don't have a problem at all I mean, especially since you were complimenting me with the terminology. I just need, think we need to be aware that there is the gift of discernment that is of a particular nature that, uh, you know, I, I believe related to discerning God's true revelation from his false revelation in the first century apostolic age. Um, but again... Study this for yourself because I there are good, solid, conservative, dispensational scholars that might not put that particular gift in that category. They may actually think it's a operative today, and you know, so I could be wrong. But that's the way I've kind of come to. That's where I've landed in I categorizing the eighteen. Yeah. Well, isn't it the gifts? Those gifts, when they're gifted by the Holy Spirit, that they do have one hundred percent accuracy. Yeah. Whereas. Yeah, that's a great point. It goes to kind of my comment about healing, but the idea of 100% accuracy. So in the first century, someone with that gift, like same thing with the gift of interpretation of tongues, they either had it or they didn't. If they had it, you could take it to the bank. So once you needed to know, hey, I heard this word of truth over here from this person that claims to be a prophet. I need to know, is that legit? Is that really from, from God, the Creator? So you find the person with the spirit of discernment, they're the arbiter, period, 100% accurate. It's not like sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. That, that's, that's it. Same thing with healing, same thing with anything else. So that's why those revelatory transitional gifts, sometimes they're called, seem to clearly not be in vogue today because, I mean, as uh, brilliant, I think that was your word, brilliant of a teacher as I am. Uh, small B. Small B. <laughs> uh, I'm clearly not right all the time. I, I'm wrong more often than not, and so and, and so are other great teachers. So, but I, but I'm fine with in our normal, you know, conversation the way we use the term. If someone says, "Yeah, that teacher, man, he, he seems to, she seems to really have some good discernment about the, the times that we live in, or discernment about." in times that's that's fine just we just need to make sure we're not implying by that that the spirit of god has supernaturally gifted them with a perfect ability to do that yeah in this context and discussion that we're having now can we 
safely substitute the word wisdom for discernment? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, and, and by by gaining wisdom, most of that is comes from experience and and living life. And um, but if we substitute that wisdom for discernment, um, in my mind, it makes a little more a little more sense. Yeah. Uh, in this context that we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's all part of the same package: mm-hmm. wisdom, discernment experience would be another one you know you just learn to pick up on things i can't think of the example but just in the last couple of days i was talking to someone almost had to be on the phone and i just could just tell they were just kind of trying to sell me something you know i just i could just tell it was they were not i I mean you just pick up on stuff like that and so I don't see that as a direct result of some type of supernatural endowment that the Spirit of God who dwells within me has for me all the time. It's just, it came from the fact that I've heard this before. You know, this sounds familiar. I, you know, but we have to be careful about that too because sometimes we're wrong on that. You don't want to be too quick to judge, you know. So, yes, did you have a comment? Or, all right, well, thanks for uh, kind of helping me talk through some of that. And again, I, I feel like I've not, done justice to what I was trying to say, but uh, hopefully we have a better understanding that the discernment that Proverbs is talking about here is related to wisdom, experience, validating it through the Word of God. There is a a more specific type of discernment that I believe, and again, I could be wrong, but I believe related to a unique, special gift of the Holy Spirit to first century believers that had to do with determining whether something was revelatory or accurate or not so all right well awesome well we'll stop there and we'll pick up with number five under varieties of proverbs uh, next time